Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, May 12th, we are studying Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. The Spirit dwells in you, St. Paul says, and that completely changes everything. Now you are sons of God. Now you are adopted into his family. Now you are heirs of all of God's riches along with Christ Jesus. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor A.J. Espinoza. Pastor Espinoza serves as pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California, and he's also the host of Thy Strong Word here on Worldwide KFO. You can catch him every weekday at... 11 a.m. Central, which is, what, is that 9 a.m. your time, That's Pastor right. Espinoza? Yeah, 9 a.m. No, yeah. it, it works out well. It's, uh, we, you know, get the girls dropped off in the morning and, uh, you know, still have still have time to throw everything together. <laughs> Very good. Well, well, welcome back to Sharper Iron for, for earlier in the morning here. How are things going on, on Thy Strong Word? Where are you all these days? We are in the Gospel of Mark, and uh, I know a lot of people including myself, we're like, thank God. Um, because, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to go through, um, you know, the entirety of Scripture, and there's a lot of value in doing that. Um, this last year, we we kind of completed year one, kind of the arc for the Gospel of John, starting with the Gospel of John, looking at John's letters, concluding with uh, John's uh, revelation that he received from Jesus Christ. So, and a lot of Old Testament in between, and that helps us read the Gospels. But I mean, you know, you, you want to read the Gospels, and I could easily just do thy strong Gospels and just read nothing but Gospels all the time. Um, it's just so, it's so wonderful, the stories of, you know, the healings, the exorcisms, just the words of Christ. Like, there's just those, uh, we put them in red letters for a reason, right? They just, even if we didn't put them in red letters, they still just jump off the page when you hear the voice, um, just the clear, unfiltered voice of Jesus. So it's uh, really cool to be looking at a gospel again, and we're really appreciating it with all the connections we're making. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's it's always nice to get back to those very foundational texts. We just, well, you helped us in, in part of Matthew's gospel. And and it's it's always, I mean, it's it's been interesting for me reading through the book of Romans, and I haven't always had the chance to, to draw this out within this text, but it, it's amazing to see the influence of what's there in the gospels on Paul even when yeah. maybe the gospels haven't been written down at this point, they, it's very possible that they have been, but they maybe, maybe not, you know, Romans is probably mid fifties AD, whether or not Matthew, Mark and, and Luke, probably not John by that point, but, but whether those gospels were, were written down by the point Paul's writing this, I don't know, but you still see the evidence of Jesus words as they're recorded in the gospels throughout Paul. I mean, just as, just as one, one example yeah. Martin Franzman in his Romans commentary pointed out that in chapter six, hmm. you see Paul talking about baptism in the first part as, as right. a, a foundational thing. And then when he's talking about in the second half of that chapter, he talks about the doctrine, the teaching. Well, that, you know, that's Jesus in Matthew 28 when he sends hmm. his disciples out with baptism and, and the word. So it's just, it's, it's really nice to come back to these foundational texts. We, you know, here in, on Sharper Iron, we'd, we'd looked at some, yeah, we looked at Amos in, in in the last fall. That was a bit bit more obscure, but but now to be back, you know, Matthew, Romans, these yeah, these sure. are just really foundational texts. So yeah. so great great opportunity here to to talk with you about about Romans and and yeah. as you bring in some of that, you know, some of that interesting background from the scriptures and then that foundational stuff from Mark where you are right now. We're here in the middle of Romans and we're only looking at 12, 8 through 8, 12 through 17. So much, much shorter chunk of text than, than you're used to with That's right. thy strong word. Uh, so, so just give us some context here in the book of Romans. Where, where's Paul been? What's he doing leading into these verses that we're looking at today? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, actually I was fortunate not too long ago. I had the pleasure of uh, leading a, um, a men's Bible study in the book of Romans. And, and we were looking a lot actually at the very first chapter and the very last chapter just to help us get a sense of the context. And 
Um, I, I think that the thing I was trying to help them to see the most really is just that y- you can't treat Romans like it's a theology textbook. And I know that's kind of like what you really want to do <laughs> because he touches on seemingly everything, right? I mean, it, it seems like this is just Romans is great. You know, it's just like it expands on all the different, you know, aspects of the gospel. And so, yeah, you want to go that direction, but it's like, hang on, guys, like put the brakes on a little bit. It is a letter, a letter to some particular people. And when you look at it, it's really kind of all aimed at a particular idea that he has for these people. And so when we look at Romans, I, I think you really see this picture of this is a predominantly Gentile congregation that's up there in Rome that Paul has not known personally, though he's got some associates up there. And he he doesn't have that much influence with this congregation. They're a, a big, a somewhat powerful congregation in some respects, um, well-known. Uh, but they were founded and they have been influenced and taught by other teachers, other teachers which apparently um, have emphasized what we'll say are the uh, maybe let me what we would what we would call anyway ceremonial and cultural markers like um, you know circumcision, um, Sabbath observance, things like that. It, it seems like those were the people who influenced the Romans the most, um, but they have been somewhat willing perhaps to turn a little bit of a blind eye when it comes to their day-to-day lived morality. And so Paul here trying to convince them, Hey guys, I know we don't know each other. Um, you know, I, I know we, I I really do want to go meet you guys, but Hey, you know what? You you ought to listen to me. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I've got something really important to say to you, which is that you're totally, uh, emphasizing the wrong thing here. And so I think that throughout, actually, we see this theme of, you know, hey, it's not about whether or not you're like, you know, physically, literally circumcised or not. It's not, it's not about, you know, whether it's like on this day or that day that you would make this observance. Uh, It's about, do you have Christ? Do you have the spirit living in you? And that's, as you said in the intro, what changes everything. So, I mean, just, and this is a, a bit of a, a different take on the book of Romans, I think, than, than most of our guests have. And, and maybe if I, if I can dare say it, go for it, that it's a, a different, different take than even Martin Luther has. I mean, if you know, it's just like, I'm looking in the Lutheran study Bible yeah. where, where he, you know, I mean, this epistle is really the chief part of the New Testament and is truly the purest gospel. It's worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but also that he should occupy it with himself every day as the daily bread for the soul. I mean, you know, it, later he'll he'll say that, that it has the things that a Christian ought to know, what the law, gospel, sin, punishment, grace, faith, righteousness, Christ, good works, love, and hope in the cross. I mean, all, all these things. Sure. He seem he seems to have a, a lot more, and I don't know. I would I don't think he would say theology textbook, <laughs> but I, I do. I mean, I do think you know when we think of the the letter to the Romans, you think about if you want to know the basics of Christianity, here's where it is, and I don't I don't I don't think you would disagree with that either. But yeah. just that that context, yeah, is is important. That it is it is a letter, and and it does have it does have a context. So where I mean, out of, out of curiosity, you're, it sounds like. Some of the things that you were bringing out, the matter of ceremonial law, circumcision, hmm. those things are definitely there. Chapter four particularly stands out in my mind. Yeah. But I mean, I think of those things in a lot more readily when it comes to Paul's letter to the Galatians. I, I see Romans, to me, it seems has a bit broader focus than that, this matter of the works of the law, which certainly has those Jewish connotations, but at least in several places with Paul seems a bit a bit broader than circumcision only that, that there's yeah. a, a bigger emphasis there. Yeah. I think that all of that's, all that's really fair. I think that, I think that what Luther is getting at is that what, when you, when you appreciate Romans for what it is, um, it ends up functioning in a lot of ways as a, as a guide for us also, right? Like it's not just for the benefit of the church that was in Rome at the time, right? But it gets applied to us. And uh, in, in that, part of the reason is just because of what you just said. It isn't just on circumcision, because actually, um, I, I think the thing that's really um, the, the tact that that Paul's on is, in fact, the Jew-Gentile distinction itself. 
I, I think he's gone a little bit more fundamental even than circumcision. He's, I think, from the very beginning, from the very beginning in chapter one, and I think it's actually in every single chapter of Romans, he is challenging the commonly accepted Jew-Gentile distinction, which uh, you mentioned, you know, connections to the Gospels. I think that's a theme that's there in the Gospels themselves, uh, particularly in the Gospel of John. Uh, you know, not too long ago, Good Shepherd Sunday, you know, I have other sheep um, who, you know, are not of this flock, right? Um, that that kind of idea in Revelation we saw on on Thy Strong Word, uh, we, we saw how there was that comment that John makes, those who say that they are Jews but are not. Um, the way he talks about Babylon and the Gentiles, how those are actually references in some cases to apostate Jews. So I, I do think actually Paul is going more fundamental in that, in that sense, more uh, more broadly speaking, as you were saying, because he's, he's challenging what we think Jews and Gentiles are. And I think he's trying to convince them that, hey, guys, um, if you're in Christ, that whole distinction gets blown up. Yeah, this matter of, of being in Christ is is a key thing, particularly starting in chapter six, I think, and and definitely moving into this text that we've got today. And and I, I you know I apologize for playing the Luther card on you. That's always one of those. <laughs> hey, but but Luther says uh, at least among Lutherans. So no, but I, I yeah. So Which in Luther? terms of. Right, that's right. In in terms of in ter- that's a very broad context. What about narrower, little narrower context here in chapter eight? Where what's Paul been doing here in chapter eight, leading into these verses? Yeah, yeah, sure. So yeah, in in particular, right? Um, you know, so so he's he's going through this argument, which I think really is about the the, the Jew Gentile distinction. But as he's gone and and made this argument, right? Part of the problem is he kind of pulled the rug out from underneath the boastful uh, Hebrews at the time, which then right le- kind of leads the Gentile audience to say like, well, wait, hang on a second. So what's the point of any of this stuff then? Like, is the law just worthless then? Um, is obedience then worthless? Like, uh, does, does it not even matter? Right. Um, and, and so I think he's got kind of almost um, I, I think he's actually kind of anticipating an objection to what he's already said. Um, and so, like, in, in that whole process where he was trying to prove that, oh, yeah, you know, righteousness, it comes by faith, and actually it was actually by faith even with Abraham, right, and all this stuff, right? He's now kind of got to go back up here and say, like, no, well, now hang on a second. It's not that any of this stuff is, is like, useless or bad. Um, and, and so I, I think that's, that's kind of, like, where he's trying to, like, work in here. And so, like, you know, back in, like, chapter 7, it was, like, you know, so what is, is, is the law sin? By no means. He, he's, he's trying to say like, hang on, this stuff isn't actually bad. Right. And so I, I think that's kind of like what we're working here in chapter eight that he's showing, well, see the, the law is actually good. It's just that it, it couldn't work on its own. See. And so now that you've got the spirit, the law actually can work. Um, you can actually fulfill the purpose for which the law was sent in the spirit, right? So I, I, I think he's kind of trying to redeem um, the law <laughs> a little bit because he kind of mm. he kind of he kind of pulled the rug out from underneath it, and now he's trying to say, no, no, wait, don't don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. Yeah. I mean, you you see that a couple places in in Paul here in Romans already back at even at the end of chapter three, he asks the question, do we overthrow the law by this faith? And he says, by no means. And and there he says, on the contrary, we uphold the law. Really all of, I mean, from in chapter seven, verses seven through 25, the majority of chapter seven seems to deal with that question of, of what place or at least it's a start to that question of, of what place the law still has. Is the law evil? Is the problem with the law? Yeah, right. You know, no, the problems with with me, Paul says, and and now he's he's bringing some of that back. Particularly, you know, he he adds that we talked about it yesterday with the matter of that the law weakened by the flesh couldn't do it. Yeah. The problem wasn't the law. The problem was that it was weakened by the flesh. Right. And now Paul's saying, but you have the spirit. Yep. Not not the flesh anymore. Right. And, and that's going to make all the difference going going forward here. So, right. yeah, I mean, it's, it's like he's, he's, and we said this yesterday too, that that in chapter eight, in many respects, is a, a high point in the book of Romans, 
where he's he's drawing a lot of a lot of stuff that he's already said into mm-hmm. into these great conclusions. Yeah, I mean, especially I think I think we tend to know the end of this chapter the best. It tends to be one of those those spots where we really go oh, sure, yeah, for comfort. But all of this stuff is is just such 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 great gospel here mm-hmm. um, for all of us. So with with no further ado, then let's let's go ahead and, and read these verses that we've got before us. That's right. We're in Romans eight, beginning at verse twelve. Paul writes, so then brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That is the text for today, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Hmm. So the the thing that stands out right away to me hmm. is in verse 12, Paul says, so then, brothers, we are debtors. Now yeah. he says what well, we're we're not debtors to. Yeah. But the the language of being debtors, I don't yeah. think is something that Paul has brought out at all in his letter to the Romans. And and certainly I mean it just it strikes me as unusual. Yeah. Yeah, no that's fair. I think that um well, you know, it's uh it's probably a a little bit of a miscommunication between the English Standard Version and um, and us right now, because I think this is one of these things where when you hear the word debtor and, and we talk about debt, I mean, just think of it like our, our common like civic discourse today. Uh, we're always talking about the national debt and like, you know, right now, um, you know, it's all this like we just passed how many trillions of dollars of spending. Right. So we're, we're very I mean, I mean, just, of course, in consumer culture, debt, debt, debt. So I think we really go there really quickly. Um, but here I think he's actually more talking about, um, the duties that are owed, um, the obligations that one finds oneself in. I think this is actually a little bit closer to the idea of, um, vocation and the idea of who you represent and who has a claim on you. So, so yeah, so, you know, I, I'm not disputing that debtors isn't like kind of, you know, an okay translation, but I think you got to kind of move it away from the kind of monetary uh, metaphor and think of it more of like, you know, um, you know, children, for instance, owe their parents respect, right? And love and obedience, not like they can pay it off eventually, right? But just by nature of being children, that is what they owe. It's it's, it's more like Luther on the table of duties. Hmm. No, I, I think that I think that's a very helpful explanation. And the, the reason, though, I mean, uh, I don't honestly, the national debt hadn't really bothered me all that much. Maybe it should, <laughs> but but that that's not what was in my mind when when I was here. You know, we are debtors. Yeah, I, I believe it's I believe it's Matthew who records it this way, and maybe Luke too, when he records the when you get the the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, you know, we usually say forgive us our trespasses, and that's yeah. that's not wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I I think the idea there is is the same picture of a debt. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive those who have. Yeah. And, and so that that is I yeah. think to, that's what stood out in my mind here. Interesting. Yeah. About this, you know, on the one hand, we're praying that God would forgive us our debts, and of course, it. And here's that connection yeah. to Matthew's gospel yeah. again. You've got that great parable in Matthew 18 of, of this this huge debt that's forgiven. And I, we did talk about the national debt when it came to that parable. I remember that, but, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, you've got this huge debt that's been forgiven. Right. By, by, I mean, and Paul's spent, you know, a great chunk of time talking about that yeah. in the book of Romans. He hasn't used the term debt. I don't think so much right. as a, as a metaphor for it. He's, I mean, he has talked about the idea of being credited, that righteousness is credited mm-hmm. to you. Right. But now here he's, he's saying you are, debtors and you're not going to be debtors to to the flesh that's not where you owe and again i I do think i think that's a helpful way of thinking about this is this is an idea of vocation what what and table of duties what do i owe to to someone right and i I think that's helpful and i and and i don't know if this is the same uh, the same word in greek but um, is it i think it's romans 13 where paul talks about don't owe 
Oh, where is it? In, oh, yeah. Verse 13, 8. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who oh. loves another has fulfilled the law. And so, I mean, and again, I'm, when I get to Romans 13 later, I'll, I'll hopefully to, remember this verse. <laughs> but reconsider, I, yeah. Exactly. So, but, but I mean, I think that that's, I think you're, so the, the debt that we owe yeah. has to do with, well, the, what do we, ah, this is, this is hard to talk about. What do we owe to God for what he's done? That maybe is, that's, that's hard to say that. Yeah. I don't know that we would, Yeah. I think, how, how do we respond is how yeah. we usually would say. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I think it's more like, you no, know, like, like what do you owe because of who you are and, and less mm-hmm. what do you owe because of what someone else has done. Of, of course, we are who we are because of what God has done. And that's the whole notion of, of vocation, I think, in, in terms of the creator-creature distinction. But like, you would not pray in this context, forgive us our debts. Like, no, that's bad. I mean, to, to, I mean it would actually be, on, on a certain level, heretical um, if you're understanding debts, right, in the sense of like your God-given vocations. Like, you don't pray, forgive us our debts, like, make me something else, right? Uh, um, don't, I, I'm not happy with the creature that you have made me. I rather wish that you made me an angel or a frog or whatever the case mm-hmm. is, right? No, um, you would rather, instead of say, forgive us our debts, you would say, fulfill us our debts. And the, the verse you just referenced, verse eight of chapter 13, right? Oh, no one, anything, <clears throat> uh, except to love one, love each other for the one who loves another, uh, has fulfilled the law, right? So, so this is, um, that sense of, you know, these are, these are the, obligations we have, and they're going to be fulfilled in us by the power and by the life of Christ uh, dwelling in us. And, and that's where you get this indwelling and all the rest of this stuff. So yeah, it's interesting to make the comparison to Matthew um, and some of the Gospels, because we're going to get all these similar ideas, but they're going to use different words. Um, and, I, and I think that Matthew is the one that has the word debt, if I recall. Luke uses um, trespass, um, paromata, a different word in Greek. And so it's one of those things where um, actually, I think that Paul is kind of maybe leaning, you could say, towards a little bit of a more Greek sense of the word debt here, whereas um, Matthew might be a little bit reflecting more of an Aramaic background. So yeah, different kinds of words, but we're, we are talking about the same ideas uh, so, so often. Sure, sure. I mean, and I guess maybe maybe this is me just uh, trying to, to think of, of the ways that this would preach. But so, you know, I mean, Christ has forgiven our debts so that now we fulfill these these debts of love something something yeah. like that I guess is the yeah, connection yeah, yeah. that I that's I, where I, my I, mind's I like going that. it's like he, he's 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 paid off your debt so that you can finally um you know give to each other their their due right I mean it, it's like he, he's he's paid what you owed so that so that now that's not in the way of from you doing you know what what you owe others. I mean, you know, it, 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 I think that's the idea. Like it's, you, you, you had this debt that was so huge. You couldn't possibly even begin to like render the love and the respect and everything else that you owe people. Cause you owe too much, uh, cause of your sin. But now with the sin gone and with Christ living in you, well, now you can actually start doing those things. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So, and I think too, and, and we'll probably get to this on the other side of the break, I'm guessing just cause we've got about three minutes here, <laughs> yeah. but, but, this matter of being a debtor, Paul is is going to expound upon what that looks like as he gets into the difference between the spirit of slavery versus the spirit of sonship and, and yeah. the difference between those two things. I think, well, at least as I'm thinking forward, is, is going to help us as we think about this type of of debtor that we are. But before before Paul says what type of debtor we are, he says, "You're." He actually says this negatively. Yeah. We're debtors, but not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. I mean, what it, what does that look like to live as a debtor according to the flesh? Right. Yeah. 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 So I think that when you when you pay attention to the the word order here, him saying that we're debtors is not presented as a surprise or anything that is un that that would be un uh, unusual. I think it's sort of like. Uh, when you're the Romans listening to this, it's not obvious. Well, of course, we we all owe something to somebody else. I mean, that's we all have our vocations, you know. So you know, parents, you know, owe this to their uh, to to their leaders. Children owe this to their parents, right? So uh, so th- this is then the part where this is the new information. This is the part that might be surprising, right? So he's like, okay, yeah. So so we're debtors. We owe things, right? Of course, but not to our. I mean, this is the crazy thing. Um, not to the flesh, um, which in other words, not to 
nature, right? Which is, this, this, the, the, do you, I mean, like, do you appreciate how crazy that is? We just got done talking about how you have duties that you inherit because of your nature, right? Because of your vocation, because of how God created you as a creature. And he just got done saying, right? Um, <laughs> you don't actually have duties imposed on, on you by what you have been made to be. Your own nature does not actually impose obligations on you. This sounds absolutely insane. Um, and so I, I, I think that's actually the big, what, why he has to spend a few verses here unpacking this thought. Um, because that is the old nature, the flesh. Hmm. Right. The, the old flature, sorry, the old nature, the flesh, this is not what we, what we owe the debt to. And I think we're, I'm going to go ahead and take the break here pretty quick, but I, I want to come back to this thought of, of how we're understanding flesh here. Cause again, we, we hear the word flesh, I think, and we think physical yeah, and we think spirit and we think non-physical and that's not the distinction yeah. Paul's working with, right. but I want to, I want to come back. We don't have enough time on this side of the break. We're going to pick that thought up on the other side. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFUO. Stick around during this break. We'll be right back. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. On this Tuesday, May 12th, we are looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17 with Pastor A.J. Espinoza. He serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California. He's also the host of Thy Strong Word here on Worldwide KFUO. Pastor Espinoza, prior to the break, we were talking through verse 12 here. And and I said previously, I want to come back to this because I think it's important. We're debtors not to the flesh— how do we need to understand flesh? And I think we really have to talk about spirit at the same time. How do we understand these terms here in Paul? Because I, I don't think it's the way that a lot of us hear them yeah. immediately in our context. Yeah, I think this is like the word debtor in a lot of ways. I agree with you that there's a little bit of miscommunication between us and the translation that uh, flesh is just such a, I mean, you know, carnal, right, word for us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you talk about like sins of the flesh, man. And like, automatically everyone's thinking like you're talking about something to do with, um, you know, sensuality, if not specifically sexuality. Um, but that's just not even where we're going, right? Like when Paul lists off, you know, uh, fleshly sins, he talks about like envy, bitterness, strife, you know, pride. It's like, you know, what? Those are the <laughs> cerebral sins, not the fleshly ones, right? Um, so we're just, we're just kind of not taking it the same way. The way he's thinking about it is in terms of uh, flesh as in what God has made. Um, and we're, we're, we are talking about nature in, in a certain way. Um, I mean, I mean, that's, that's actually why I think in, uh, Paul, you see actually a little bit of an ambivalence sometimes between the word um, that we usually translate as flesh and the word that we translate as nature. Um, and also this is, uh, well, it, it, a little bit of a tangent, but this is uh, exactly also why, um, in the early church, it was very, con- controversial to say that Christ had two natures and that he had a divine nature because it's like, well, hang on, what? He has like a divine flesh. I mean, I mean, I mean, so there, there was, um, th- th- this old way of thinking about flesh was very creaturely in its orientation. And so that's why you have in the scriptures, like, you know, all this talk about, you know, God pouring out things on all flesh. We're talking about like, you know, all the different peoples that he has made, right. Or, or, or even all the different species, that he has made. So, I mean, you're, you're talking about nature and then the thing that connects it then to our circumstances here in Paul in Romans is that nature has been corrupted. Nature is not what it was meant to be. It's like the law, right? It was given for one purpose and it ended up serving another, um, ends up serving death rather than life. So similarly, nature was given by God, created by God, given for the purposes of life, right? You know, go, go therefore, um, um, multiply, fill the earth, right? but it ends up serving death. So, I mean, that's, I think, the, the tension. We're talking about the natures, uh, the nature that we have, that we share. And um, and I think going back to the big theme, part of that is the nature that we think that some of us are naturally 
Hebrews, and some of us are naturally Gentiles. And uh, he's going to say, you know what? It's actually not about your obligations to that nature. It's about the obligation to the Spirit. Right. I mean, and that I think that that takes me, and I probably heard this from from some previous guests, but that takes me back to to what John the Baptist says when he talks about the the children of Abraham. Yeah. You know, don't 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 put your confidence in that. It's not about being connected by the flesh to Abraham, but rather to use the language Paul, it would be by connection to Abraham through the Spirit, through yeah. the sharing the faith of Abraham, as he said in, in chapter four. Right. So so we're not debtors to the flesh. We're not debtors to live that way in these ways that are opposed to God. Right. Because, and then he's, he's going to draw that a little bit further in this, this negative side of it in verse 13 before he moves into the positive. He says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But yeah. if by the spirit you put to death, here's a different death, death, the deeds of the body, you will live. Yeah. Draw us into verse 14 there. Yeah, well, yeah, I think I want, I want to get to 14. Looking back at 12, I, I think that this is, uh, you got to understand something like a little bit tricky here. When, when he says we're not debtors to the flesh, he then has this construction here, um, so, like, so as to live according to flesh, right? To nature, right? So actually the way he just said that, is leaving open the possibility that we actually do have obligations according to nature, um, but just for different purposes. Um, and and this, I think, is is maybe some if maybe someone was thinking this when they were listening just now. Like, hang on, what are you saying that all of our natural obligations are gone? Like, it, I don't have to take care of my family, right? I don't actually owe allegiance to to the governor, right? All the rest of it, no, right? So so he actually did qualify that in the way that he wrote that. It, it's it's kind of tricky and harder to see in the translation, but. Um, so we're, we're not debtors to the flesh so as to live according to flesh, live in that fleshly way, right? So that's really the focus here. What kind of way, right? What kind of principle, what kind of basis, right, is the way of life? And, and so that's that's where he's getting to verse 14 then, because um, it, it's it's going in some ways to a new nature, right? Um, the and, and that's and that's I think the, the key here that if you have the spirit of God, then you're sons of God, right? And um, it's interesting. I, I noticed when you were reading, you earlier said sons of God, right? A little bit of emphasis there, which is actually one of the variants um, in terms of emphasis. If you look at the Greek text, there's three different ways that these words are arranged, all reflecting different ways of emphasizing the sentence. Um, the one that we typically go with is like, so these are sons of God, like like that, that. That's what you are. It's a new kind of thing. It's a new nature, um, and so that then changes everything, even the way that you live out those obligations according to the flesh, the nature uh, I mean, to your parents, to your to your governor, to you know bodily needs. Um, this is the principle that changes everything. Right. I mean, so the the physical, and this is what I was was trying to draw out too, is that. The, the physicality is not the problem in and of itself. God yeah. created, I mean, the first article of the creed, I believe that God has made me and all creatures that he's yeah. given me all yeah. these things. So the, the problem is not the physicality. The problem is the corruption. That, right. I mean, and that Paul was drawing that out when it came to the law in chapter right. seven. You know, the, the problem wasn't the law. The problem was the corruption, the sin that dwells in me. And, and same is true with my my own body. It's not the, the problem's not the body. The problem is the sin that corrupts the body. And so now as I serve in my body, well, there are ways that I walk in the spirit in quite physical ways, as, as you've said. And and the, the reason that this is true is because you are led by the spirit of God and therefore you are sons of God. So, so where, I mean, take us into that matter of emphasis there in verse 14, where yeah. all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. What is What's and I, I think I'm emphasizing sons because sometimes we automatically go to children, which Paul does use that language here, oh, but he, okay. he chooses the word sons here, yeah. which I, I think is is significant in connection to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Wow. Yeah, right. Um, but but take us into that. Where where do you put the emphasis there in verse 14? Well, yeah, I know that's interesting. So like the the Greek text that critical scholars think is closer to the original is, is just kind of like these are sons of God. Right. So, so the emphasis is actually, or I guess, I mean, uh, 
Yeah, I, I, so the word these is actually deleted in the English translation, which doesn't make it helpful because that's actually the word that's being emphasized. Um, in Greek, it's like, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. So sadly, the word that Paul emphasizes is the word that they took out of the English translation. So that that's unfortunate. Um, but um, the other ways of emphasizing uh, this sentence, there, there's one that kind of uh, puts... Uh, uh, even yet stronger emphasis on these. Um, there's another one that puts the emphasis actually um, on the word God, right? So it's like we're sons of God, you know, not sons of something else, right? Um, so it's, it's actually it's interesting when you read these um, these these uh, little notes in the in the in the columns of your Greek text. They're all different ways of taking this. <laughs> They're all different ways of taking this. Um, and so I think the way that that you know, if, if the scholars are right, that, you know, this is the way that it's, it's laid out the way that we're taking it is like, you know, so, so these are, are the sons of God. This is what we're talking about now, right? Like we're talking about spirit led people, right? This is the consequence that this is the property of it. Like you, you can't have the spirit and somehow not be a spirit of God. I think that's the emphasis, right? Like mm. he's showing that the naturalness of it in that sense, which is when you get verse 15 about adoption, because again, talking about words we don't understand, um, different sense of the word adoption. We're talking about, hey, if you've got this spirit, you've got a you've got a new nature, you got a new set of um, obligations, you've got a new family, right? I mean, it's it's just natural, um, in in of course a non natural sense, right? So so I mean, this this language is all this is just rich with imagery here. The matter of the these ones, these ones led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And, and the reason is because you've received the spirit of adoption as son. So what's the, I mean, what's the background there behind this, this term adoption that we need to know to help us understand what Paul's bringing out for us? Yeah. So that's, and that's something that, um, I, when we were, we were going over the book of revelation, I, I kind of got a little bit more of a taste for it too. Um, because, because we were seeing how revelation, like so much is just steeped in the, uh, the way of thinking of of that time that that the church was under, which was dictated by the Romans, um, that y- you had the succession of these emperors, and that the way that the Julian dynasty worked—that is to say, the the em- emperors of Rome that followed Julius Caesar—many um, of them were adopted into the family, and that and that was actually the way that you—it it wasn't like you had an election every so often, right? It was that the guy who's in um, adopts the guy who's going to follow him. Um, and so, you know, this guy Octavian is adopted um, by Julius Caesar, and he becomes Caesar Augustus, right? Um, and then he, in turn, adopts, uh, I think it was Tiberius, um, who, who then, you know, so he's the son. So, oh, he gets to take over, right? Um, and, and when they're adopted, they're all adults. I mean, it, it's crazy. We, we just don't think of this. You only adopt adults pretty much in the ancient world. That's the only thing you do. Um it's uh it's it's really weird to consider that, but in our in our situation, it's just the opposite. So it really has nothing, not nothing, but but I think I think it's 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 fine. Um, pretty much has nothing to do with with like providing like basic needs or housing or or, or food or care or something. The idea is all about hang on a second. What's your status now, right? What kind of privileges do you now enjoy? What do you stand to come into in terms of your inheritance, right? What kind of positions and titles? might you have? And also in particular, right? Where does your loyalty lie? Where is your allegiance? Who, who do you owe going back to that word, right? Who do you owe your allegiance and your conduct to, right? Whose name is on you? Who do you represent? What family do you represent now? Right? I mean, like that's the adoption idea here. Hmm. Yeah, no. And I think that's, I think that's a helpful thing because it's not in, in our context, adoption is typically something that happens to a child. And that's, I mean, this is a very good thing that I mean, no one's saying that that's bad, but it's not right. quite the same emphasis right. that you're getting here. It's, right. it's not so much about having been abandoned by someone, although, I mean, there may be spots where that's, that's there, but it is this matter of identity yeah. and, and the rights associated with it. And I'm, I'm trying to think of a, a good modern comparison to this. Oh, I, I'm not. I'm not sure what it is. I mean, we we live in a very. I, I think, oftentimes we live in a. At least we think we're, we're fairly um, 
mobile society in the sense yeah. of between the between you know like i i can work my way up i don't yeah. have to depend on someone that's else right. no it, although it's kind, that, of, it's kind of antithetical to our our mores like i think that you almost had to go to different cultures i'm thinking of japanese culture where there's a really i mean modern japanese culture i mean it has been for some some time now where this happens like where when when uh when your daughter gets married um in japanese culture a traditional japanese culture anyway it's been influenced by the west like any other culture on earth um but traditionally you adopt your son-in-law your son-in-law becomes like your son and you actually see in japanese culture like for a long time you would groom your son-in-law to actually take over the family business or or, or um i mean i mean e even like to to become like the, the leader of the family and all the rest right it's um but of course this was an adult it was the adult who's marrying your daughter right um so it, it and it's a modern example anyway of, of how it's done and, and in fact in J japan now like like there's actually like you know the the people who preside over um like some of the, like the more important businesses in japan like are actually the sons-in-law of um mm. of their of their father-in-laws who have uh, taken over the business mm. well and, and that's i mean that's and although perhaps not something we're we're it's <laughs> right on the front of our minds right. right it's it's something that's maybe helpful because the matter of, of business and and yeah. that sort of thing helps us with this matter of of inheritance and i i I want to come there, but I don't want to skip over this matter of of what the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Yeah, because I think this is this is a really key thing. And of course, the anytime we see in in English a word that hasn't been translated, yeah. but is is transliterated, which is the word Abba. Yeah. You know, well, what is what does that mean, and why is why is it why does it stand out like that? So I, I think we need to at least touch on that word as a part of this inheritance that now we actually cry out to God, the father as our, our Abba. Yeah. Um, this goes back to what we we're saying earlier. The Gentiles get to speak Hebrew. I mean, the, the Gentiles are actually full fledged members of the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, they, they are, they are as Hebrew as anybody else. And that's why you get, um, untranslated Aramaic here, um, which was reckoned as Hebrew. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think that's the significance here. He gives the gloss. Um, but, but the idea is, you know, you're just as in, you're just as Jewish, you're just as Hebrew, you're just as a, a son of Abraham as the rest of them, you know? And, and it, it's, um, that's actually, you can compare that to modern times. It's, um, you know, if you want to convert to Judaism, modern Judaism, which um, I always just need to reemphasize, Judaism today is not um, the religion of Israel. Uh, I believe Christianity is the religion of Israel. Right. Um, but in modern Judaism, you're just automatically in um, if your mother is also Jewish, right? It's just like, boom. But if you want to convert, um, it's like, first of all, they look at you like, are you sure? Really? I don't know if you want to convert, right? Um, but but then once you get past that, it's a process. I mean, it's a very long process. It can take years. And I guess I don't have anything against that, right? Um, but even then, it's kind of like, you know, I mean, there, there, there's just this kind of like, well, you're you're in, but you're kind you're kind of not. Um, I mean, and like, there's actually a lot of cultures that are like that, where you you can technically convert or join, but you're kind of always still an outsider. Um, it's actually. We, I, I can draw more analogies to Japanese culture because the same thing happens there. But uh, well, let's, let's not beat a dead horse. But I mean, yeah, I, I think that's the key that um, it's like you are no less a member. You're not a second class citizen. Like you, you are first class. You are the, the same. It's, it's as if you actually could trace your an ancestry through one of the 12 tribes. I, I want to take it even farther than that because I, I, I think that it's not only it's not only saying to the Gentiles, you're just as much in as the Hebrews, but it's saying to Gentile Jews and Gentiles alike, Hebrews and Gentiles alike, you're just as much in as Jesus is. I mean, because when I hear the word Abba in in a prayer that it, and I I didn't do the research right ahead of this program, but I, I I'm pretty sure that it shows up in the New Testament here in Romans eight. It shows up in a very similar context in Galatians chapter four, where the the spirit is actually the one crying in us, Abba Father. But the other place it shows up is is in Jesus' own prayers, where where Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. He uses this word Abba, and so I mean that's that's where I want to go with it. It's not just that that Gentiles are in just as much as Jews, but that Jews and Gentiles alike are both in, only because they're in Jesus. 
who's the yeah. one that ultimately this prayer belongs to? Who who is the the one who rightly can call God his father? It's Jesus, and he can call God his father not because he was adopted, but because he's a natural son. To, I mean, to go, you know, he is the son of God by nature, not by yeah. adoption. And yeah. because we are in him, whether you're Jew or Gentile, and you're in him now, and and now the Spirit dwells. I mean, here, oh man, we're getting all Trinitarian, which is great, because the Spirit dwells in you. Now you get to pray the same way Jesus does, yeah. and that's true whether you're Jew or Gentile. I mean, I, I think we need to go all the way there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I ultimately agree with you. I, I think it's a, a question of like what kind of what direction we're pointing the thing. Um, I mean, it is interesting I mean, because you're kind of anticipating verse 17, um, you know, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Um, and, you know, Paul uses a lot of these uh, fellow this or co this or uh, together with kinds of constructions, like rather frequently. Um, and, <laughs> and just as frequently, we seem to misunderstand them left and right. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because like in verse 17, you know, it says like heirs of God, right? Which is to say that like like God has us as his heirs, right? Like God adopted us, right? And we're, we're his heirs now, right? Um, and, and, and then like right after that, you've got Christ, right? It's Christ's co-heirs, right? So... I think that the the logic of the Greek is the, the people who also with Christ um, are heirs, and, and so and that and so there, there's a little bit of the thing. It's like because you can think of it in terms of exactly what you just said, kind of taking it like the in Christ uh, metaphor, um, which is what you know he does in, for instance, um, like Ephesians, right? Like where you have all this stuff, like no, we're we're raised up like in Christ and in this, right? Uh, but though here he doesn't actually use in Christ. Um, so it, it might be kind of like, you know, we're like with Christ in the sense of where um, the angel tells uh, the mother of our Lord, you know, and he will save his people from their sins, right? Where he's like kind of reckoned as one of the people. So it's like, you know, you know, as, as Christ is of the tribe of Judah, you know, so we too are also like among the tribes. Um, of course, regardless, right? Um it ends up being only through him. But I, I think that for Paul, he's starting with the premise of the spirit um, where it's like, whose spirit is this? It's Jesus's spirit. It's the spirit of Jesus. It's the spirit that he sent. Right. And so it's like, Jesus is the one who gives you the spirit that lets you be this to begin with. So, I mean, in the, in the end, it's only, it's, it's totally only in Christ exclusively. But um, I, I think both directions are valid. You see them um, in both actually the gospels and the writings of Paul. Sure, sure. So with we've got about five minutes left. I want to make sure we touch a bit more on this matter of inheritance because I think that's a, that's just another key theme here that Paul really closes out. And and he also then I I want to have you just drive us forward into the text we're going to have tomorrow. The end of verse seventeen, this matter of suffering with Christ and being glorified with Him, is really going to propel us forward into tomorrow's text. With with under just under five minutes or so, Pastor Espinoza, take us into that matter of inheritance, and then drive us forward. Give us a taste of what's what's coming in this matter of suffering and glorification. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So, yeah, inheritance. You know, you you got to think of it um, not in terms of just you know kind of like payable on death, right? I mean, of course, we even we even have in scripture the idea of inheritance, and you know, there's of course the the parable of the the, the so called prodigal son. Um, who like asks for the inheritance early has the the goal right to ask for that, um, but I, I think kind of in our discussion about um, you know like adoption, especially adoption in the ancient world, um, as a part of you coming into that inheritance and being included in the inheritance, that means that right now you're actually part of the leadership already, right? Like when when um, Caesar would adopt somebody, they were already like top ranking, like second in command, like. In fact, actually, like, for instance, um, when Vespasian came into power um, at the exact same time, his son Titus was also given the title Caesar, right? Same day, um, even though he didn't actually come to be the emperor for, you know, over a decade later. So, I, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, an heir is not just like, this is like, oh, one day you get, like, heaven as, like, you know, kind of the payout of the life insurance policy or something like that. Like, no, 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 no. Um, if you're an heir, right? I mean, that means you're ruling with Christ already. I mean, I, I do think this actually kind of goes back to what we had in Ephesians. 
uh, were mentioning that earlier, where we are actually raised up. And if Christ ascends in royal power, then in a sense, we have also ascended with royal power in the same way that John sees the the, the thrones, the 24 thrones, right? The elders um, who are ruling, right? Like we actually like rule with Christ. We, we, we judge with him. So th- there is this sense, and this is, I think, kind of a little bit um, where he gets into this future glory stuff, right? Um, where he talks about the revealing of the sons of God. It's not that it's all in the future. It's that in the future, it's going to be revealed what's been going on all along. Mm-hmm. Your, your splendor and your majesty and your, your glory that you have and your authority that you have in Christ will be revealed, even though now it is veiled underneath the sufferings of this life. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a that's those are all very helpful comments. That that this is a now, and and we haven't probably haven't have not emphasized this as much as we could have or should have. The word now it it shows up particularly in chapter three, where where Paul says, you know, no one's going to be justified through the law. They says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Chapter eight started with a now. There is therefore now no condemnation. And it's true right now, even if you can't see it. As you right. said, it's hidden right now. It will be revealed. And and I think that really is, is going to set us up as we continue into chapter eight and and especially those those wonderful words that are coming, right? That, that right now we are more than conquerors through him who loved us because nothing's going to separate us from his his love. I mean, this is all this is all building. And I think that that matter of, of inheritance that is ours right now, even if it's hidden and it's going to be revealed, that that's setting us up for this this beautiful climax that, that Paul's building towards here in Romans chapter eight. Pastor A.J. Espinoza serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California. He's also the host of Thy Strong Word here on Worldwide KFUO coming up in two short hours from now, 11 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Pacific, what is that, 12 Eastern 11 mountain, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wherever you are That's right. and, and anytime on a, on a podcast, check out kfuo.org, wherever you get your podcast, check them out. Pastor Espinoza, thanks for your time today. Thank you. Always a pleasant surprise. That's right. That's right. Though we are, we are debtors, not to the flesh, but to a different sort of debt, a different sort of, of, owe that we no longer owe the sin to God. And so now, now the debt of love is, is paid to those, those neighbors around us in a different way. Why? Because the spirit of God dwells in us. The spirit of adoption as sons and inheritance is ours right now, though it is hidden. It is ours right now and will be revealed in glory when Christ returns on the last day. What a day that will be. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.